You are listening to Water Flying, a show dedicated to all things seaplanes. Brought to you by the Seaplane Pilots Association. My name is Steve McCoy. I'm the executive director of the Seaplane Pilots Association, which is the world's largest nonprofit advocacy organization dedicated to the protection and promotion of the water flying community. Climb aboard! We're about to start today's episode. Welcome back to Water Flying. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Abby Kellett, a seaplane flight instructor. And of course, I'm joined again by Steve McCoy, Executive Director of the Seaplane Pilots Association. Yes, here we are again. Thanks, Abby. So today, uh, I'm pretty excited. We are joined by Corey Johnson, who is an active SPA member. We always like to hear that and have SPA members on the show. But he's also a Lake Buccaneer owner. He's been creating some pretty informative YouTube videos lately on his YouTube channel that are specific to seaplane pilots and seaplane operations and seaplane topics. So, um, Corey, thanks for being here. Great. Well, good afternoon. Thank you very much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, so in your latest video, uh, you have some great footage and information on five things to consider when buying a seaplane. Uh, and they're really targeted specifically at the Lake Amphibian Group and you buying your Lake Buccaneer. Uh, so let's get right into it. Um, what are the first things we need to consider when we're purchasing a seaplane like a lake? Sure. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I've had a lot of fun building up the, uh, uh, these YouTube videos over the last year or so, and especially the interaction with the, uh, the seaplane community and, and the feedback and, and whatnot from everyone. And uh, a couple of months ago, I did a video on why I bought a seaplane in the first place. And people, you know, I made kind of a side comment in that about, oh, there's some things you want to think about before you get, before you buy a seaplane. And several people keyed in on that and reminded me I didn't talk about that in that video. So <laughs> I do a separate one on like that. We want to know. Tell we us. We want more. Give us more. <laughs> and uh, the, the thing I teased at the beginning of it was a seaplane is an awesome airplane or my seaplane is an awesome airplane but it's not exactly for everyone. And before I get into the whole list, it was make sure you know your mission. And uh, it was really interesting. I talked to a few different people when I was looking at airplanes and there's actually a couple of guys who were selling a plane. They bought a, a Lake Buccaneer thinking that it would be a good cross country machine to get from point to point. Uh, <laughs> and they found out that probably wasn't the best plan. Uh, a 172 or a Cherokee 140 would about run it on less fuel. So uh, know, your, know your mission is kind of the first thing. But once you settle that thing down, uh, when you get really into a seaplane, you settle on, on yes, I want a seaplane, and yes, I want to, to go forward with it. The first thing I, I really uh, want people to think about, and it was something that I learned when I was at uh, Jones Brothers uh, CNR uh, training last summer, was know the rules of the road, know the rules of the waterway, and make sure you've got uh, water access. And... You know, just knowing that you have, you know, water nearby is one thing, but knowing if you can actually land on it or not. The uh, Seaplane Association has the Water Landings Directory, which is really important to make sure that the waterways that you're going to, that you hope to be flying in and out of, you want to make sure they're seaplane friendly. And, uh, you know, every state has their own rules on where you can and can't land a seaplane or operate one. Certain states uh, have got regulations where you can basically not fly at all. Other states, you can only be uh, land on the water if there is a designated waterway. Municipalities also have got some, uh, you know, limitations back and forth what you do within towns. So my first, you know, guidance to people is really consider where you're planning on operating this thing. Is it a water-friendly area that you're going to? 
so that you can get maximum use out of your toilet. Yeah, and as you as an example, so you're in North Carolina, which is fairly uh, seaplane friendly, as is Tennessee, is is very seaplane friendly. And yet just to your south, in between you and us here in Florida is Georgia. And Georgia is one of the states that we're working on to open more waterways for the members because it's not very seaplane friendly. And yet it's completely surrounded by seaplane friendly states. And surrounded by water on, on the east side, right on the ocean. So that's a great example. Uh, so, you know, just make sure you've got access to it. The, uh, the, the second thing that I, I talked about is seaplanes are wonderful tools, but if you can't get them, you know, can't get in and out of them efficiently, they're kind of hard to deal with. So docking a, a buccaneer in particular is really, really challenging. Yes. Uh, you've only got, you know, about a two feet between the, the water level and the, the bottom of the wing to deal with. And you've also got a sponson sitting about eight feet out from it there. So pulling up to a dock, like in a traditional float plane, like uh, you, and, you and your super cub, Stephen, I don't have that privilege. <laughs> and so uh, if you're going to actually come up to a dock, you've got to really be careful about it. You kind of end up angling up to the front corner of it. And there's some instruction on the uh, Lake Amphibian Club site on how to do it. But again, if you're planning on docking, you think that's part of what you're going to do, be real careful about that because that's something you want to pay attention to. See, that would make me nervous as a float plane instructor and having flown primarily in float planes. The idea that, you know, coming nose in what I, I you saw, you showed a picture on um, your video where you sort of angle so that the dock is kind of in between the Candy nose corner. and the wing. <laughs> yeah. That makes me so nervous because you don't have an exit plan. You know, you better yeah. make it up to this dock because if you tried turning, you're going to rip, you know, that float tip right off. And so that would make me nervous. That's something that I would need so much more training in if I were to switch to mono holes. Absolutely. It's something you want to pay attention to. The, uh, uh, on the Lake Amphibian Club site, there are several articles by some really, really good guys that talk about if you're going to be uh, uh, coming up to a dock, what do you want to do with that? Uh, you know, Norman Phil has got a numbered diagram, step-by-step -step steps for docking. Uh, Elton Townsend has got a docking the lake, a whole four-page thing on how to do it. So you want to pay attention. But the, the short version of what they tell you is stop way short of the dock. The short version of it is to stop way short of the dock and uh, row up to it, get a, get a good oar and, and work your way up to the dock. I cheat. I have an electric trolling motor that happened to come with my airplane. So oh, you I are cheating. <laughs> that is 100% cheating. Yes, and, but it is so cool, right? <laughs> and sorry about that interruption. With my phone is the offender. Oh. That was one of our field directors uh, who's going to be on a future show calling. So <laughs> I apologize about that. But yeah, uh, yeah, so hey, this is, this is interesting though, because, you know, from my experience with, with, flying boats and, and low wing seaplanes, um, I always kind of make uh, a comment that, well, if you have ramps, they're really good. Uh, but that's one thing I do like about the flow planes is I don't feel so hesitant about docking issues. And, and the way I describe both floats and especially lake amphibians, that the nose of the airplane is the soft squishy end. And that's right. <laughs> You know, I like it, yeah, though, because there's so much more training. You know, you're reading more. You're obviously, you're considering it more. And so you probably get pretty good at docking with a low-wing flying boat aircraft. Yeah, you have to. <laughs> yeah, you have to, or you're going to destroy <laughs> you're your airplane. you spend a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, it's uh, yeah. The uh, with with the with the buccaneer, what they uh, they say is it's it's awesome for ramping. It, it's super cool for that. It's really great for beaching, which is really fun. But docking does take a little bit of a little bit of getting used to. Uh, so you want to just kind of keep an eye on that and pay attention to it. Definitely. All right. Number three thing to thing to consider when buying a seaplane, like a lake. Number three is um, the wingspan. And uh, this I kind of illustrated in, in the video that I did. But, uh, you know, if you look at the, the wingspan of a normal airplane, like a, uh, my Bonanza is a 33-foot wingspan. And a buddy of mine's got a 35-foot wingspan on his Mooney. Well, the Buccaneer, uh, you know, stretches in, measures out at 38 feet. And uh, I, you know, I can't actually put it in his hangar over at the airport. It's, it's too big. So uh, just make sure you pay attention. The wingspan is way bigger than you expect it to be. Now, on the other side of that, we're only, uh, you know, about nine feet tall. If you look like a 172 or a 182, they're, they're like 13 feet tall. By the right. time on top of amphibs floats. So if you're looking to buy a, a seaplane, whether it's a, a buck or it's a, a traditional float plane, make sure the door to your hangar is going to fit and make sure that the, uh, uh, you know, that you can actually get in and out of there. It seems like something really simple, but that's pretty crucial. I mean, if you can't get in the if hangar. you can't get your airplane into your hangar, are you going to be stuck outside yeah, and in so, the elements? You know, for a normal T hanger, that's one of the, the things we see with the air cam a lot on floats, on amphibs. Oh, is man, that, that liter- thing is a nightmare. You have to, like, pull the tail you down. pull the tail down to get it in the door. Oof. Once you're in, you're okay as long as the hanger is, has enough clearance. It's but huge. that's really something to figure out before you get in that situation. Yeah, it's uh, it, and it's something you don't think about. Like you said, you're just, oh, put it in the hanger, no big deal. No. Uh, yeah, not necessarily. That's right. <laughs> All right, the number other f- side of that is also make darn sure you know what you're doing. And a buccaneer in particular, it's got a castering nose wheel. And backing that dumb thing up is is truly an exciting experience. So uh, make sure you have a little bit of practice on on doing it. Once you pick up the nose, it's it's totally fine. It's actually a lot easier to maneuver than like my bonanza is. But uh, you got got takes a little bit of getting used to. So you know, making sure you can get in and out of the hangar that the hangar space fits is, is a big one. Definitely, definitely. All right, number four, thing to consider when buying a lake seaplane. Number four, drum roll, please. Ding, 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 uh, ding, ding, ding. Oh, you're good at that. Go. Ooh, that was good drummer boy. Well, I am a drummer boy. You That's are right. a drummer boy. That's right. <laughs> Jazz club. All right, number four. <laughs> number four is maintenance. Uh, it's not really a surprise that uh, when it comes to you know owning an airplane, it's it's a maintenance intensive toy, no matter what kind of airplane it is. And if you have a boat, it's a maintenance intensive toy. You know, they say boat sensor bust out another thousand. Yay. <laughs> when you have an amphib, you kind of take the price of maintenance of a boat, multiply it by the price of maintenance of an airplane. You kind of get Com- combine them. The best of both worlds. Yay. But the maintenance of both worlds. Yes. What, what did you say? That's called living the dream, right? That's exactly right. You're living the dream. Just open your dream. wallet. <laughs> You know, we, we have accepted what we do as a hobby. I, I think if you're listening to this podcast, you obviously like seaplanes. You know what you're getting into. Well, you know, it's kind of funny if you, as a student, um, you know, a student pilot, they teach that airplanes fly because of Bernoulli's principle. And, uh. lift, <laughs> and, drag. and, you know, the FAA says it's because of the paperwork. That's how the airplanes fly. <laughs> Airplane owners, we know that it flies because of the dollar bills you shove under the wings. <laughs> You know, just get my air cannon with $100 bills. That's horrifyingly <laughs> true. 
But oh, not yeah. to scare you away from buying one of these seaplanes, but there's a certain amount of sensibility to that comment. It's some realism, <laughs> you know. I mean, like like what Corey said, you're multiplying a boat. You know, all the wear and tear that you put on a boat, being on the water, the corrosion, depending on what you're doing with it. And all the wear and tear you put on an airplane, banging it down the runway every once in a while. Yeah, but having said that, I mean, so with a buck in particular, um, I don't know if you want to disclose how much you paid for your aircraft, but there are some good bargains out there for Lake Buccaneers. And I've heard, you know, many of our members comment that the reason they chose the Lake Buccaneer was because it was an affordable option. So that's not, I don't know that that's on our top five here for your video, but Talk about that a little bit, sure. you know, how that influenced your decision. Well, it absolutely did. When I went to to buy a plane in the first place, uh, you know, I had five criteria for buying one. And, yeah, the Buccaneer is by far and in a way the most, you know, cost-effective, I would say, or budget-friendly certified uh, seaplane or a certified seaplane that was out there. I had, um, you know, if you look at like a, a 172 XP, it's about three times the price of what you can buy a Buccaneer for. You can buy in the low six, excuse me. You can buy a Buccaneer for something in the low sixties. Uh, you know, when I was looking at a one eight or one seventy two, it was about one hundred eighty thousand dollars. Yeah. So you can get a lot of airplane for the money. The other thing is a Buccaneer does have a standard one hundred eighty or two hundred horse or one hundred eighty horse, depending which one it is. I have a two hundred horse Lycoming engine. So yeah, the parts are readily available uh, and that kind of thing for the engine, but in terms of maintenance where, where it was a struggle to me, I was really surprised by this. Uh, there's a number of shops that are just not super familiar with kind of the lake specific things on it. And so um, there's a couple of shops that I actually talked to that were very hesitant to work on the plane. Uh, now the Lake Amphibian Club has a list of, there's about 25 different shops around the country, right around the corner from you guys is, uh, you know, Amphibians Plus and Bartow, Harry and Chris Shannon, phenomenal folks. Absolutely. So Oh, they're great. Um, SPA board member, by the way, also. Ah, there you <laughs> go. Uh, and they're tremendous. I mean, I've got a local mechanic that's helped me out with uh, some little things that have come up on the buck. And and he's called down to Amphibians Plus, and they've been very, very helpful and, and talked him through what to do and what to look for. So it's been, it's been great. But uh, just to think about if you're going to buy an airplane, not every shop is going to want to work on them. And you don't want to have to travel a fairly deep distance in order to have work done on your plane. So just keep an eye on the maintenance. Again, now overall maintenance hasn't been that bad on it. It's uh, there's a couple of things that are very Buccaneer specific, but other than that, it's an oil change and doing a 50 hour inspection. So it's interesting that you say that though, because someone coming from land planes and having a maintenance facility and being kind of spoiled with their maintenance facility and they go and they buy something like a Lake Buccaneer and, their maintenance facilities suddenly, you know, they may not be comfortable working on it. So that is certainly something to consider, you know, having an available maintenance shop. Yeah. So that's one thing that I've really appreciated with having the experience and being involved as I have in in seaplane aviation and in the seaplane community is that it is a very specific type of maintenance. The, The faults and the failures that we have and the preventative maintenance is unique to seaplanes, whether it's uh, amphib uh, float plane or a flying boat. And so, and there is a lot of tribal knowledge out there in this world. Uh, and that tribal knowledge will save you a lot of money um, in identifying issues, but also in preventative, in the preventative maintenance side of it. Oh yeah. The, uh, just for example, the hydraulic power pack and the Buccaneer, it runs 
the brakes and the flaps and the trim in that airplane. And it's, it's a, it's a fairly complex little unit. Uh, I was having some problems with maintaining hydraulic pressure in the plane. So my mechanic was going to start looking at it. He fortunately called down to, uh, you know, Harry and, and Chris and talked to them first. And instead of doing a 20 hour, pull this thing out of the plane and try and figure it out, he had the two hour, you know, do this, do that. And, and you fix it kind of a deal. So yeah, the tribal knowledge, the, the society, the people in the area are super good to work with people. And like you said, there's no end to the, the folks that, are, that put information out there to keep them, uh, to keep the planes flying. But you do kind of have to do your homework because there were only a thousand buccaneers and, and renegades and skimmers made compared to that to what, a, you know, 100,000 172s. And uh, you can see there's, there's a big difference in, in who's worked on them. Yeah. And thousands of super cubs or whatever that, that have been out there. Yeah. And it's been at least 30 years since a buccaneer came off the factory line. So, um, it's been a while since one's come out. So yeah, <laughs> yeah the last buccaneer rolled off in 1986 and the last renegade in 2006. So, uh, the renegades are only, you know, 15 years now out of service, but still that's, that's, you're getting to be out there ways. Yeah. And the renegades, I mean, the one in 2006 was kind of an anomaly. I was working with the factory at the time, uh, on that. And I think they built a couple of airplanes and then the hurricane took them out and that was unfortunately the end. So, uh, yeah. So, but they're, uh, they're a lot of fun. Okay. So number five is an area of my particular, uh, uh, a passion item for me. So let's talk about number five on your list of things you need to know before you buy a seaplane, especially yes. a lake amphibian. Gosh, in general and in specific, and yeah, in, in seaplane in general and a, and a buck in specifics is uh, uh, the instruction and getting a proper and thorough checkout in the airplane. Um, the, the airplane, it's no surprise just by looking at it, uh, it's kind of funny. I, when I got the, my Buccaneer, I flew it across the country. And of course, at every fuel stop, you know, the line guys would come out and try and help you fuel up the plane or whatever. And out of the, you know, all the fuel stops out there, I think one person knew where the fuel, you know, uh, where the fuel pole <laughs> yeah. um, It was really cute. I was in uh, Clinton, Iowa at the, the FBO. They're great guys. It was super, super cool guys. They're like, oh, yeah, go grab the crew car. We'll have the plane filled up for you by the time you get back. And I said, uh-huh, sure you will. <laughs> I said, okay, are you sure you don't want me to stick around? They're like, no, 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 we got this. All right, so I went off and a uh, little side note, if you're ever up in the Midwest and you, if you're into taco pizza, get one from Casey's General Store. There. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually a sponsorship. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Casey's General Store. <laughs> so, yeah, they've got great taco pizzas. But anyway, so I, I go to town at the, in the crew car with, you know, 7 million miles on it and, and like 15 different warning messages. And it was super cool. I love, that's kind of my favorite crew car, by the way, to get it. <laughs> look like the brand new thing with the new car smell still. So. I had one before. I'm sorry. I had to, I have to cut in here. So I, I had one when I was going cross to Colorado in my 150 and it had fire yeah. ants in it. I don't know how, <laughs> like it just, it like there was a, it was a nest of fire ants that just lived in this car. So we were still using the car because we were hungry, but you'd have to pick your feet up off the floor. And so we were driving sort of, ow, ow, ow. So that was interesting. Yeah, but those are, that's what makes that's the memories. That's a whole podcast, That's I what think. makes it, that just I, me I, and the crew I, car. Yeah, I think the crew car or, or the courtesy car stories. Um, yes. the, that the, would actually be really interesting. I Oh, I'm making notes. That would actually be really funny. The El What's Camino, everyone's crew car story? The El Camino at Crystal River, which uh, you used to go get ice cream or whatever, and the battery's all exposed in there and the floor's all rusted. And 
And then on the other side, and then you go to Tallahassee and you get a brand new. Oh, it's so nice. Brand Those new cars black in Tallahassee. Yeah. Oh. And then you're driving around and like everyone drives terribly in Tallahassee. I'm like, I'm going to destroy this car. And I'm pretty sure when I was there, someone else did destroy a car. There was like a crew. We're off topic. So Way off topic. Instruction. Get back into instruction and so training. So important in a lake amphibian. Yeah, so. Yeah, back on topic here. But uh, so anyway, um, the, the whole training thing. And like I said, even at the beginning, I, I had the, 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 the line guys went out and they came back after they get, in the, get lunch. And the guy's like, you win. Uh, where's the gas? You <laughs> win. <laughs> so that means your fuel is free that They're time. Googling it. and They were. They were looking up everything. So, uh, but, so the other part about the plane, because it's, it's not a normal airplane. It, it doesn't handle like any other airplane out there that that huge pusher prop on the back just, you know, gives it some very, you know, opposite handling characteristics. If you, you know, add power, the nose drops on you. If you chop power, the nose swings up on you. You know, the center of gravity is in a weird spot on it, or the, the thrust line's in a weird spot on it. So when you go to turn the airplane, if you're not really good on rudders, like as a Bonanza guy, I'm not. It's <laughs> optional. Um, and, you know, whoops. Don't let the Bonanza Society hear me say that. <laughs> So ABS will be really calling running. you now. That's yeah. right. <laughs> Walt is calling me at this minute here. <laughs> anyway, but uh, so the instruction is really important and the checkout is super critical. And uh, there's, you know, all kinds of, of things that you want to look out for on that, on that thing. Again, the Lake Antibian Club has got a list of instructors that are approved by the insurance company. And that's kind of a side note that insurance is going to be interesting. Um, the insurance companies require initial and recurrent training in the airplane. So you need to kind of factor that in. And again, because it's recurrent training, you need to have this on a fairly repetitive basis. If you're in a state where the closest seaplane instructor that's on the list is six states away, you got to pay attention to that and think about that ahead of time. And just in general, even if there's someone nearby, your flight review, your annual flight training, you should do much more than just you know, three takeoffs and landings every two years of the, for a BFR. Uh, make sure there's someone nearby that actually understands the airplane because just any flight instructor shouldn't be your seaplane, you know, BFR, CFI. And I just want to point out to our listeners here, Corey is a CFI. So he's a CFI, double I, MEI, all the letters of the alphabet there. So he really knows what he's talking about. So you've taught, yeah, and obviously. I, and oh, thank you, but... And, just because I have those letters in the alphabet, I've had several people that have asked me, oh, you have a seaplane. Will you teach me in it? And I've told them, no, I'm not ready to teach in one of these things yet. I, I teach other stuff all the time. I, I, you know, but I want to make sure that I'm giving people a quality you know, set of instruction in the airplane. And, and so, yeah, find a person that actually is very knowledgeable in the plane and can, uh, can check you out because uh, it's just a really important thing. Training, like I say, the, the day I stop learning is the day I stop flying. I am a, uh, uh, I'm a, a commercial pilot, but I'm also a student pilot, and I will never stop learning in airplanes because every time I fly, everyone I talk to, I learn something from them. I get a new tip, a new idea, whether I incorporate it or I learn what not to do. It's kind of depending on the situation, but uh, yeah. So learning to me is, is super critical, and it's actually part of why I do the YouTube channel that I do and the and the videos that I publish. All the comments, both you know, good and constructive criticism are there because, you know, I want to learn. And it's kind of funny when you put a video out there of whatever I'm doing, I don't show just the, you know, just the, the beautiful day in the park, the sunny rides, I <laughs> right. bounce landings or some kind of awkward situations. 
And people key in on that and they'll give feedback and say, oh, at, you know, at two minutes and 22 seconds, you turned the yolk left when you should have turned it right or, you know, whatever. And, but those are the, the pieces of feedback that I really appreciate because, oh, I can become a better pilot from the feedback I get. Absolutely. Every flight you go on, it should be a little bit better than the last flight. You do something. You use ailerons a little bit more um, consistently than you did the last flight. You can just make yourself better. I like that. I always like that every time I go out by myself. Yeah, and I, I hope I'm not beating things to death on training, but I, I really want to stress, and we've talked about this before, and I'm sure we'll talk about it many times into the future, but getting a seaplane rating does not, if you get a seaplane rating in a float plane, you are not, you may be licensed to fly a lake amphibian, you are not qualified to fly a lake amphibian. And you really need to get good and adequate um lake amphibian specific training because of the high thrust line number one uh, because of those characteristics of adding power and you nose down Uh, conversely if you lose power and you're at a high angle of attack with not a lot of energy in reserve the the nose is going to go up has it's going to have a nose up tendency which brings you closer to the stall spin incident and that's really important you cannot really I don't think appreciate that until you start flying a lake amphibian and you experience it or a high thrust line airplane, but also the haul factor because landing a haul and even taking off in a haul seaplane is completely different and counterintuitive to what you learn flying a float plane. Yeah, absolutely. And it goes the other way as well. The, the plane I bought or the, the Buccaneer that I bought, the, uh, the gentleman I bought it from, he is retiring from flying and that's why he sold the airplane. He had kind of the opposite situation. He had lots and lots and lots of hours in a Buccaneer. He wanted to go and, and learn how to fly a, uh, you know, a, a 182 on floats. And the owner's like, oh, here, go fly. And he's like, no, no, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you've got 700 hours of seaplane time, go fly. And he's like, no, I have no float plane time. It's not all created the same. It's recognizing that. Well, and so here's what would have happened. Here's the scenario. He would have been used to landing a lot flatter. Mm -hmm. The floats would have tucked and he would have had a massive nose down tendency going to fly a float plane that he's not used to in the Lake Amphibian because he's used to landing very flat in the Lake Amphibian and it doesn't have a tendency to tuck. That's right. Unless you're overly flat. (laughs) That's right. So me, you know, having like about 2,000 hours now in float planes, I think I would be a lot more hesitant to, you know, be given the keys of a flying boat of a monohull like a Buccaneer before getting like extensive training rather than, you know, if I had five hours of float plane time and I wanted to try out a Sea Ray, I think I'd be a lot more comfortable with that because that transition Whereas being a float plane pilot and having thousands of hours, you get so ingrained in how to do things and you have your procedure and you know exactly what the flare should look like, but it's a completely different beast. It's like, it's, I don't remember who we talked to, but it was, it's like going from a truck sitting so high to a little Corvette where you're, like you said, you know, you're reaching out the side and you're touching the water. I can't imagine that because we're up so high. We're in a truck. You'll learn. I, I got to like squat down to get to the water. So... In a couple of weeks, you can you can go for a ride, and we'll show you exactly what you're missing out on. I'm very excited. I'm very excited. So speaking of that, Corey, we're really looking forward to seeing you at that Lake Aircraft Training Seminar on February 20th. Is there anything specific that you're looking to learn, looking to pick up while you're there? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm looking to learn. I'm expecting to learn a lot while I'm out there. I've looked at the cast of characters that's uh, providing the instruction at the uh, 
at this event. And it's, I mean, it's, it's a who's who of, of people that know how to fly the Buccaneer and, and the Renegade and everything in between. So primarily I'm just learning to learn, just like you said before, the tribal knowledge of people that's, you know, out there. I've got, I put about a hundred hours on my buck since I've had it this year, which is awesome. But these guys have got, you know, thousands and thousands of hours in these airplanes. Um, you know, one of the things that I'm, I specifically told uh, Lance and, and the guys that I was looking for when I, when I responded to, to, the, to the event was just learning the, the whole bounce landing and porpoising because, well, I've got a video yeah. on <laughs> um, They don't all go so well. So just, you know, the recovery techniques and, and that kind of thing I'm looking forward to playing with. Just those, you know, what if scenarios that come up every now and then when you're not really paying attention or you're not, you're not ready for them. Yeah, so again, uh, the uh, the in-person event is sold out currently, uh, but it's still available to attend as a virtual training seminar. And this seminar is going to be on February 20th and 21st. It's hosted by the Seaplane Pilots Association and Amphibians Plus, so that's come up in the conversation here. Uh, and it was created uh, by the Lake Aircraft Owners Facebook group, and a great group for anyone looking to learn more about flying boats and specific Lake Amphibians. And we want to thank them uh, for uh, putting the seminar together because they've literally done a lot of the work for us um, in organizing it. And the whole intent of this was to make the seaplanes community safer, specifically the lake amphibian uh, part of the community safer, and to reduce accidents. So um, if you want to learn more about this event, this virtual training seminar, it'll be a two-day seminar. There is a fee for uh, attending it. And again, it's being uh, put together by the Lake Owners uh, Group on Facebook. I think it's the cost of an SBA membership, uh, I think, oddly enough, mm-hmm. uh, which we appreciate. Uh, but uh, you can contact Abby, which is spelled correctly, as she is so quick to say. A. B B I E at seaplanes.org. Well, that was going to be great. We were going to do that yeah, in unison. Oh, I like that. Uh, so, if you want more information uh, on this event or anything on this podcast, because again, as you were saying about your YouTube videos, the feedback is critical and we want. Uh, feedback on this podcast and on these topics, and we want you to suggest topics. So if you want more information about this event on the 20th and 21st, if you want to attend virtually, contact Abby, A-B-B-I-E, at seaplanes.org for more information. And uh, we want uh, to see you all tuning in because we're actually going to, we intend to do our first remote podcast uh, from the event as well. So tune in, learn what you can do, even if it has to be virtual. And uh, keep yourself and your passengers safe. Corey, thank you so much for joining us. Really, we appreciate it. Love the videos. Um, We're excited to see you at this event. Well, I can't wait to see you guys. Thank you all very much. And uh, until next time, safe skies and calm seas, everybody. We are so glad you joined us today. If you like today's show, I highly encourage you to join the Seaplane Pilots Association and become a member of the largest seaplane community in the world. Members receive Water Flying, the only full-color glossy magazine dedicated to the seaplane community. And it's available in both printed and digital form. Your membership also includes access to the Water Landing Directory app, which has the Seaplane Flight School directory and a calendar of seaplane events not only here in the United States, but around the world. 
The association hosts regular educational workshops, safety seminars, and gatherings for seaplane pilots and anyone with a passion for seaplanes. So look us up online at seaplanes.org, join our community, and support our mission of protecting and promoting water flying.